So he very much loves England, very much American as well. We love the combination. So why don't we give Roberts a great hand and welcome as he comes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. You may be seated, and thanks for that warm British welcome. That's about the only thing warm at this moment. When you come from Florida, this is called winter. I noticed a guy came in the church this morning in a pair of shorts. I thought, that's, that's California dress. That's not, that's not British dress for church. But it's good to be with your pastors and the team here. And I'm glad uh, to say you've got a beautiful building and you're in it. Amen. And I love these big windows. Sometimes churches are so claustrophobic. I'm glad that you get to worship God and see the bigness of God outside of why you do it. Amen. And then you can pray and bind weather while you're doing that as well. And I tell people jokingly, if global warming is for sure, let's pray that England warms up in this next weather cycle of the planet. Amen. It's good to be with you. I had a great time with the Bible school students, and I'm always happy to be with future leaders of the, of the church. I know all of them will have different facets that they'll fulfill in their life and in their local church, and some may end up leading a revival or a revival movement or a moment of God in some place. So I'm always excited to put seeds in them that one day will come alive. Now, I will say this. I am American, as you can tell by my beautiful accent. If I say something too American or I choose the American word over the English or because of my ignorance and it's not right, forgive me now. And uh, grace me and then teach me later how I've messed up and I'll keep learning English. When I moved to uh, England about uh, two years ago, I moved, um, I left England about, uh, let's say I came and stayed here about four and a half years and worked at Kensington Temple. I've been coming to your country since I was 20 some years old and I'm 48 now. And so I'm more British than you because I choose to be British. You didn't have a choice. I choose to be British. And so that's more powerful when somebody chooses something than has to be something. You'll get that next week over tea. And um, so uh, I've been coming to your country. If I wasn't American, I'd be British is what I always tell people. But I moved here uh, to be a part of Kensington Temple to redo and to refunction their Bible school for them. And it was a great honor to live in this country. I live in central London, right across the street from Hyde Park. So everything I ever wanted, God gave me as a gift for four and a half years. God gives gifts to men. They're not just spiritual. Sometimes they're natural, fun things. I never thought in my life I would get to live in a foreign country. I've been to 122 of them in my travels, but to live in one is a different story. And so when I said yes, God planted me. Central, right across the street from Hyde Park, and I lived happily ever after for four and a half years. And uh, so I hopefully will get to come back and be a part of you. I am a Christian because I like Jesus. I'm not a Christian by manipulation or I'm scared of hell. I'm a Christian because I met him and I believe him. I read the book that was written about him called the Bible, and I believe the red letters. And that's why I accepted him as a child. And I've never regretted that moment in my life. As I grew up, I had to realize that church people and Jesus sometimes are two different groups. And going through that has made me mature enough to love the church no matter what condition they may be in. Because you can't be against what Jesus is for. And he is for the local church. He is for the people. He is for them in any condition or their state of growth. And if Jesus can be for them, I can too. Amen? So I am this because I've chosen to be this. In our family, to give you a little background for you that may not know me, I preached my first sermon when I was 13 years old. So I've been doing this for over 30 years. And uh, I plan to do this until the day I die. And when I die, I plan to die dramatically. Uh, so if the Lord does not come in my lifetime, I plan to have a good service and die on the platform and scare the sinners in that night and just go out with a... A big bang, and hopefully they'll film it and keep showing it after I'm dead. Uh, you only die once, so do it dramatically, people. You know, most of us don't plan our departures. We only plan our birthdays, not our graduation day from earth. And that's why most folks' death are not very exciting. Uh, so I'm trying to sow that seed in you. My family uh, tree produces preachers. Some families produce doctors. Some produce lawyers. 
presidents. If you're a Kennedy, you'll be a president. They'll usually get shot. Uh, you, you, you don't want to be a part of that tribe in that way. But my family tree, when you shake them, preachers fall out. And so my grandparents were the first Pentecostal preachers. Before them, they were Methodists, United Brethren, and different ones. And I'm so glad to be a Pentecostal and charismatic. I am excited and I'm proud to be a tongue-talking, Holy Ghost, devil-cashing-out, healing-believing preacher. Amen? I am not ashamed of that at all. I esteem that, I honor that, and I will die preaching that, whether it's in or out of fat. It is what the Bible says. And I'm so glad the Holy Ghost is not Casper. I'm glad he's a part of the Godhead and he's a part of the almightiness and he's part of the beauty and the compassion of God. And he lives in us and on us. Amen? And so uh, we're, I'm so glad to be a part of it. My grandparents were the first Pentecostal preachers, and I'm the next one. And so when I'm dead, hopefully somebody in my family will pick up the torch and run louder and wilder and, and continue until the end of this dispensation. When I was a little boy, the Lord told me to write books, and he would sell them. That's called a good deal. Um, I've written 66 books so far. Have anybody ever read any of my books? Can I see your hand? Good. How many have read none of my 66 books? Can I see your hand? You're in sin. And uh, this sin can only be removed by reading a book. I'm going to take just about three minutes and talk about things. Now, I write big books and I write little books and I write three kinds of books. I write uh, teaching books and I write revival history books, mainly called the generals. And then I help bring old books that are out of print back into print that should not have been out of print. There are some things, whether their sales are up or down, they should just be available to the body of Christ when they need that particular message or that particular anointing, they can be able to access it through writings and so forth. So uh, why don't you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and we'll start there. But while you're doing that, I'm going to mention some of my books. Have you ever heard of the guy named Wigglesworth? Have you ever read a book that big? It's not a doorstopper, it's a book. I've collected all the unpublished Wigglesworth sermons in the world. And they're all in this book, 850 pages. And so you can buy 40 little paperbacks on one big hardback and have them all. The reason why I printed this book was because most of the publishers took out his prophecies, his tongues and interpretations, and his spirit songs. So when Wigglesworth would preach, he would prophesy in the middle of his sermon. He would do tongues and interpretation, and he would sing songs. And when the people took down the sermons, they would write that in there. But some of our, how do I be nice, some of our... Christian publishers who need to get re-dipped took them out because they didn't like that part of the sermon. Well, I got mad and put it all back in. And, uh, and so these are the unedited sermons of Brother Wigglesworth. So if you like Brother Smith Wigglesworth, you'll enjoy all of those. And here's how you read a big book, one page at a time. So you don't have to read all in one sitting. You can do it over time and all of that. And so we're excited. Like Wigglesworth would say, uh, you know, I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside than I'm on the outside. He would say, I'm satisfied with my dissatisfaction. They asked him one day, why do you kind of punch people or hit people? He goes, I don't punch people. I hit the devil. They just get in the way. <laughs> Isn't that a great personality? The first time he raised somebody from the dead, it was a guy named Lazarus of odd names. And he was supposed to go pray for him. And uh, he had died before he got there. And so he got him into the house here in England. And uh, everybody was crying. <laughs> He's dead. Daddy's dead. Hubby's dead. And Wigglesworth asked, where is he? And the wife goes, well, he's dead. He said, I didn't ask what state he was in. I asked where he was. And they walked him down to the place where the man had expired and had the little sheet over his head. And he said to the wife, you can't come in here because you have no faith. Stay in the hall. I shut the door. Uh, that's why I, I don't know if he'd have worked today very well. He'd been sued every other week in our, in our culture. And... Uh, he got the man and picked him up while he was dead in his night clothes or nightgown, we'd call it, and shoved him against the wall three times before he came back to life. Uh, the first time you'd have done that and you fell down on the floor still dead, you'd have left town. The second time you'd have left the country. The third time you'd have changed your name. He was reaching for the fourth time when the man's eyes opened and then he stood up. And then he got him dressed and came back and said, uh, Wife, here's your husband. Have a nice life. And walked out. That's how he raised his first person from the dead. He raised 23 people from the dead that we know of. So you need to hurry up. <laughs> Amen. Ever heard of John G. Lake? He was a great man, 
that had 100,000 documented miracles in five years at one time in his life. When he went to South Africa, they put the plague of the disease that was killing people on his hands, and they watched under a microscope the germs die and quit wiggling. And they said, what does that happen to you? He goes, the law of life in Christ Jesus sets me free from the sin and death that's out here in this world. So when death touches me, life kills it. I met his daughter before she died. And I was driving her from Kenneth Hagin's office to Roberts's office in Tulsa. And so at a stoplight, I asked her, I said, do you have any of his writings that I could have? And she sat real quiet. She goes, yep. I said, can I have them? She goes, yep. And she sent me all the family pictures and all of John G. Lake's unpublished sermons. And here's one of the books called Living in God's Power of his sermons on that subject. So I have all of his books back there if you like that. John G. Lake was a wild guy. He wasn't British. <laughs> he was from heaven. Amen. Now, can I throw books here? Do you all catch? All right, everybody look up. Here comes a flying book and you can catch that. All right. Uh, let me go real fast. Uh, I've written four uh, general's books. There'll be 12 when I'm done with the series. Here's number four. Uh, most of you read number one, but this is about Or Roberts, Charles and Francis Hunter, Lester Summerall, F.F. F. Bosworth, and George Jeffries. I interviewed Francis Hunter, called the Happy Hunters. I don't know if you know, or know of them. At her home right before she died. She was 93 or 4 when she passed away. I interviewed her when she was 90-something. And um, I asked her before she got saved, what did you do for a living? She got real quiet. She says, well, I smoked. I said, that's what you, that was your habit. What did you do for a living? She said, well, I drank. I said, what did you do for a living? She said, well, I smoked and drank and told dirty jokes that would make men blush. I said, still, what did you do? She said, I was a printer. I said, well, what did you print? She got real quiet. I thought, did I say something wrong? I said, well, Mrs. Francis, what did you do? And she had the Tammy Faye and Jane Crouch big eyelashes, you know, those ones that are like five feet long from the eyebrow, you know, kind of thing. She goes, I printed porn. I said, excuse me? She said, I smoke, I drank, told dirty jokes, and I printed pornography. And God made her a healing preacher. There's hope for you. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have the perfect lifestyle. But when you meet Jesus, he fixes it. And God gave Frances Hunter and her husband a great healing ministry. Even though at one time in her life, she was a smoker, drinker, and porn printer. There's hope for everybody in this room. Amen. Everybody great did something stupid. Everybody look up. Here comes a flying book. Catch. All right. Okay. All right, one more. Here's my book about heaven. There's another book. I'll try to get... Well, you guys should throw it on. All right, this is not working here this morning. Uh, you, 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 don't, you don't catch well. I have a little book here. just came off the press, a brand new one. How to Speak in Tongues in England and Not Be Afraid of It. If you don't pray in tongues, you're kind of weird. See, that never goes over in England. If you don't pray in tongues, you're not as normal as you could be. Mother Mary prayed in tongues. Paul prayed in tongues. Peter prayed in tongues. So what's your excuse? It's not for me. Oh, yes, it is. It's that you just don't know much about it. Or you've had weird people try to give it to you. And you haven't learned how to receive it. And learn how to pray in tongues like you talk in English. It's real beautiful. La bresu tu compra daranda la divide. Surunda rabara kalakira manananai. And that's where you start, not where you finish. So you'll enjoy that. Amen? If you found Acts chapter 3 yet, I could preach on my books uh, all day long, but that's not why I'm here. I'm going to start with uh, Acts chapter uh, 3. I'm sorry, I said 2, but 3 and verse 19. And we're going to have a good time today. And I'm hopefully I'll be able to help you become wilder in the right manners. Amen. Uh, England has enough calm people. That's why it's kind of boring in some parts in this country. Until it's football time and then something happens to England. <laughs> I was walking down the streets of London one time and I heard, whoosh! I thought there was a fight in the pub, so I went in to watch the fight. It was World Cup Day and then there somebody just made a score and you thought they'd, somebody was dying or beating each other up. 
It's amazing how improper you become at football season. That should be church every time you get together. Amen? Uh, don't let dead churches define Christianity for a country. Let living churches define Christianity for a generation. And that's what this church is, part of its job is, is to redefine for everybody in this country what a church is and what happens when you go to church, when you come together as believers. Your past generations have allowed dead churches to define for the nation what a church is. And Britain thinks a church is 20 old people, a few nice couples, and the rest are dysfunctional people that go to church. And there are about 50 that go to that building. And you leave them alone until you need some soup or a natural disaster. And then the church becomes important. And the reason why Great Britain and Europe thinks that way because our founding fathers were too nice to the devil and too quiet when they should have spoken up and defined the book of Acts church for their generation. So we inherited this mess that you get to fix. Good preaching, Brother Roberts. Amen. I've been raised all my life in the church because I like it. I'm a guy that likes the church. Peter says in verse 19 of Acts 3, repent. That's a good word. Uh, mean preachers and damnation preachers have taken certain Bible words and used them as a stick by which to beat people with. And repent has been one of those words that when you say it today, in both of our countries, the people usually shut down and, and close up because that was one word. Repent was used as a stick to hurt people or to condemn people. It's really a good word, but we're going to have to find a different word until we can recover this biblical word in our culture. And there are words like that all through the Bible that as a preacher and a soul-winning Christian that you probably should not use because it's been used so much by wrong people and a wrong, or wrong-spirited people. And repent is one of those things. Repentance got you saved. Uh, repentance helped you turn around. Repentance is a good thing. So repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. That means removed. When you get forgiven, God never remembers or brings it up again. So anybody else is doing, that's doing that is illegal. And you have the right to tell them, shut up. Go away. I bind you. Thank you for the no amens on that. Anytime someone reminds you of something God forgave you of, it's an illegal act against you. And you have the right to say no to it, not accept it. Or any emotion that may come with those words or recovering that memory by that conversation. We are clean through the blood of Jesus. And we are free from our past mistakes through Christ Jesus' gift. Amen? Am I talking too fast? Can you hear me okay? All right. I can tell we're, we're still trying to decide on me. I already decided on you. I like you. So that's a, that's a settled issue. Okay. All right, so you keep voting. If you like my hair, great. If you don't, I can't change it. It's what God gave me. So uh, just listen to the sermon and don't evaluate my clothes, all right? Then it goes on in this verse. When times of refreshing comes from the presence of the Lord. Refreshing is a biblical word that we sometimes have translated into moves of God, waves of God, revivals of God. So notice here that it says times, plural, more than one. It's not a time, so they're not over. They still happen today according to the biblical and historical record of church and society. Times of refreshing, not times of damnation. Times of new life. Times of fresh emphasis. Times of new lift. Times of new assignments that are important to the progression of God's will in the earth at a particular time so that his kingdom in the earth can still be built and have a great edifice for the next generation to inherit. And notice where they come from. They don't come from the Vatican. They don't come from the assemblies of God. They don't come from Elam. They don't even come from Bethel. I like them all. But they come from heaven. Amen. The reason why we look at Bethel or some of these places as a great place to admire because they seem to have cooperated with it faster and easier than the rest of us who are catching up. Praise the Lord. Praise God for those pioneers and said, 
We saw it. We write it. And here's what we know. Come and learn and take it back to where you are. Thank God for that. As a historian of the church, or I should say revival history, because sometimes in the church it's very boring. Revivals are never boring. (laughs) Revivals come every 10 to 15 years as a historical fact. So if you live to be 90 years old, or a hundred, you should be a part of seven to eight different moves of God in your lifetime. We got one happy clapper with that police jacket on. Hallelujah. Are you British or where are you from? Are you sure? <laughs> now I'm just picking on you so you can pick on my Americanness a little bit later, but seven to eight different moves of God in your lifetime. My spiritual father, Lester Summerall, would say, but most people, if you knew his personality, he was very mm, little direct. He goes, most folks usually only enjoy one revival, maybe two, and they stop. And I have to say, in my experience of 122 countries, uh, that statement's kind of right. The revival that got you saved or got you healed is probably where some people stopped. Now, you don't have to. Now, you'll still be blessed according to what you believe by faith. And you'll still be blessed by what that particular church or uh, network of churches uh, welcomes. But sometimes they don't stay with the, the progressive move of God. I'm not talking about the cultural identification changes in the church's uh, life. I'm talking about the move of God's emphasis and God's spirit. I'm 48 years old. And I've been a part of every revival that has happened since 1966 when I was a kid. The first revival I was a part of was a charismatic revival. And I was a little boy that my mama and my grandmother and my stepfather took me to every revival meeting that happened in that revival in our community. I was born in Tulsa. And it was led by a redheaded woman named Catherine Kuhlman. Can you believe that God uses redheaded people? Can you believe that God uses a red-headed divorced woman to lead a great revival that we call the Charismatic Movement? The Charismatic Movement was led by her ministry without her taking a dominant role of, I'm it, she just was what God said. And the co-person of it would be Yadima Shakarian, the founder of Full Gospel Businessmen. These two people seemed to facilitate an, an example of what God was doing at that day. I remember going to three Catherine Kuma meetings as a little boy. And as I explained in the Bible school, once you ever saw Catherine, you never forgot her. Once you were a part of how God used her, it lives as an imprint in your memory and a hunger within your soul that you desire that type of happening again in your life. And the charismatic movement was mainly based on this emphasis. I want to introduce you to the third person of the Godhead whose name is the Holy Spirit. Here he is. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit would come in the room and he would start healing, saving, baptizing, and doing what Holy Ghost does. And Catherine Kuhlman would stand in a white dress and sing hallelujah. And 500 folks would get healed by the time she got through the last hallelujah. And she may go, the Lord is good and just wave her hand and the whole choir of 500 voices would fall out at one time. That's what I saw. And so you would see the bottom floor of the auditorium in, in America full of a couple hundred wheelchair folks. And all of a sudden, with no one saying a word or touching them, probably about 75 folks would get up and walk out of the wheelchair. And that's what you saw. And it was beautiful. And Catherine Kuhlman, we like, whoo, wonderful. And boy, she was. And they asked her one time, Miss Kuhlman, what does this kind of ministry cost? She said, it cost everything. And her finger went like a mile long when she'd raise it up like that. I'm playing with it a little bit, but she was a very wonderful woman. She goes, most of you see the empty wheelchair. I see the chairs at the end of our services that are still full of somebody who didn't get healed. And I asked the question, what what could I have done better to help that one get healed? Her heart was beautiful. Dima Shakarian left the local churches in America and went to the hotel ballrooms of America because many of the pastors, not all, but many of the pastors didn't like the free flow of the Spirit. They liked the control of the Spirit, mainly their control. And, and that's why God goes, if you control it, that's your church. When I control it, it's my church. 
And if you don't let him control, he's a gentleman, so he leaves you to all your religious club activities. And he went to the hotel ballrooms with the businessmen of America and of England and Europe and began to get people saved and spirit-filled by the thousands. But in the early 70s, the charismatic movement ended. Here's a point. All revivals have a beginning, a crescendo, and they end, no matter how glorious they are. What we're in right now will end in your lifetime. So, yeah, write it down. It will end, exclamation point, and underline it. See, I never get an amen on that when I say that. Because somehow you think, there can't be something more glorious than this. Honey, as my grandmother would say, there's a whole lot more you don't know yet. That we don't know yet that we're going to bump into or we're going to walk into. It's going to like, wow, that's why most people when they're in revival thinks that the Lord's coming in their revival. The problem is you're going, he's not quite coming yet. And they get that messed up. In our lifetime, if the Lord comes, it would be beautiful, but there's still too many Europeans to save and too many Chinese to save and too many Americans that need to get rebaptized, resaved, and then delivered from religious demons. Uh, and I don't mind dying to help another million people get saved. I don't want to rush the rapture. I, I want to save the souls. Are you all here? When, when that revival ended, go over to 1 Corinthians 12, and I'll read this to you in just a moment. When that revival ended... I joined what we call the Word of Faith or the Teaching Revival. It was led by uh, Kenneth E. Hagen and Brother Copeland, you can still see on television, that's now in his late 70s, and his wife, Gloria, and, and Norval Hayes, and Charles Capps, and Fred Price, and Marilyn Hickey, and some of those personalities that you'd be aware of. And that revival was so different than the Charismatic Revival, because the, the Charismatic Revival was... Holy Spirit, come and we'd sing. His banner over us is love. And it was all wonderful. Hallelujah. And boom, it happened. And then all of a sudden we went from that to a teacher-led revival. And you'd go to a Kenneth Hagin or a Word of Faith meeting, which some of you have, and you'd bring your big Bible and your colored pencils and your big spiral notebook and you would sit for two hours while they would teach a half a verse and say, I'm going to come back tonight and finish the verse. I remember going to a Kenneth Hagin meeting and he preached Hebrews 11.1 1 for five days, twice a day, for a week and said, I'm not done, come back next year, bye. And you go, how can that much be in one verse? That's why they're called teachers of revelation, not dead teachers of information. There's a difference between the two. Most people have lived their life with a dead teacher giving you facts and figures what you need is an office teacher from Ephesians 4.11 to bring you revelation that enlightens you and empowers you and it gives you spiritual instincts of how to live. And the reason why God brought the Word of Faith revival because most people were scripturally ignorant. They had a general broad understanding of the Bible, but most of the time the Bible didn't work for them only by accident. But I love Jesus. Well, that's not my sermon, though. That's great, but that's not my sermon. Most people got touched by God by a wave or a gift ministry. And they had no understanding, generally speaking now, of how to claim a Bible promise and get it by faith, by themselves, in any environment that they may be in at that time in their life. What you know specifically and to what depth you understand it, to that depth can it happen to you, for you, and through you. What you know casually, you'll get casually. What you know specifically and with a more depth to it, to the depth of your understanding, you'll get that working in your life. For example, I knew as a little boy, if I got sick, I could get healed. Because as a little boy... When we get sick with little kids, colds or something, and, and you're supposed to go to school on Monday, and you didn't feel good, and you had a little cold, my family would say, well, get dressed. We're going to church tonight, because back then we had Sunday night church. And when the pastor asked for a prayer line, get in it, because you're going to school tomorrow, so get healed tonight so you can go to school. <laughs> so I would go to church, or my sister would go to church, and we had pews in our church, so 
sometimes we were, we were sick, but we knew we could get healed at church. So we'd get dressed and sometimes lay on the pew and sleep. And then they wake us up. Time to get healed. Get up there. And so we'd walk up to the front and the pastor would pray for us. We'd get healed and we'd go to school on Monday morning. So I knew if you got sick, you could get healed. But I didn't know anything about divine health until I was in my late teens when I heard Ken Hagen one night at Rama at a public service go, you know, I haven't had an aspirin since 1958. And I thought, liar, with all due respect, that's what I thought. I had one this morning. He goes, I've been walking in divine health in certain parts of my life since 1958 where I don't need an aspirin. And he read 3 John 2, but I wish you'd be in health, not get a miracle, be in health. And for the first time in my life, I begin to go, I don't have to get sick to get healed. He wants to help keep me healthy. So divine health and healing is a two-pronged blessing. But I didn't know about divine health until I was in my late teens and early 20s when a comment like that went ding. What you don't understand won't happen for you. Because you won't even know that it's available to be open for. And the Word of Faith revival was a teaching revival that taught us chapter and verse how to get the promises of God without a Catherine Kuhlman or an Oral Roberts or a gift minister, how to get it by ourselves in our homes in England or in London or Bristol, wherever you may be from, with nobody praying for you but yourself. But there was a problem. Some people didn't like the change. They wanted, hallelujah. Not, I believe I receive in Jesus' name. See, teachers don't need music. They need time. I pastored for 20 years in California. When you have the different fivefold coming through, different ones need different things. A prophet needs music. That helps them hear and see and feel and get everything. Pastor needs lovey-dovey happy, clappy kind of music, keep everybody in a good unity and love. But a teacher, they need about 10 minutes of get up and be happy, clappy, jumpy, worshipy, and break heaviness, and then sit down for an hour and a half and take notes and educate your spirit and educate your mind and don't be stupid next week. I had Fred Price come to my church and speak in my camp meeting one time. I said, well, how much time do you need? He goes, how much time can you give me? I said, our music will be 10 minutes, our announcement will be 3 minutes, and within about 20 minutes, you will have the platform. How long do you want me to preach? Yes, I said, as long as you want. He goes, no, give me a time. I said, go an hour and a half, and then do the altar start. He did exactly that. When he got done teaching what is faith, my crowd stood on their feet and clapped for 3 minutes and yelled and screamed because it acted like we had never heard that scripture taught before because a teacher needs time. They don't need music. They don't need... They don't need that. They're going to have time so that gift within them can begin to break things down line by line, precept by precept to educate you. It's, it's a different kind of anointing. But the reason why most people, <laughs> trying to be obedient to my visit here, why most people can't make transitions between one revival to the next because they get addicted to how God was operating in the last one and they want it to be the same way in this one and if it's different, and I almost guarantee it will always be different. And they go, hmm, I didn't make it. And some of the charismatics would go, it grieves my spirit. Well, I'm sure it did because your spirit was in charge. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so you've got to be addicted to the author and not become addicted to the administration of a revival, how it operates. So whatever God is doing, you can keep writing each move of God and drink of it and participate and receive it without getting stuck somewhere. Can you say amen? The, the, the third revival that I joined is what you're in. So I'm not that old. I don't know what we call it yet. I call it the river people. 
because they're always flowing and going somewhere, you know. So, you know, when you're over here with you guys or you're with Bill or you're with Cheyenne or whoever you're with, they're river people. They're flowing and they're going. And so I call them river people for the lack of a good name. And I like river people. But some of my word of faith brothers, when the revival began to end in the late 80s and early 90s, they begin to be real quirky. I didn't like this. Because all of a sudden, prophetic people begin to prophesy a lot and there was more than one prophet. Because we unconsciously believed Hagen was it. Now, he never said that, but we thought that. And then all of a sudden, you had Bill Hammond and all of his prophetiers. And then all the other prophetic people begin to pop up all over the earth. And they were prophesying like popcorn popping. And that bugged us faith people. And all of a sudden, you soak. We didn't know what soaking was. When I left England, went back to America, Heidi Baker came to the church I attend in Florida. And I was, you know, welcome real nice. I sit on the front row. There's the pastors. There's Roland Heidi and some others and myself. So I'm on the front row looking important. And... um, and uh, I'm just there because I knew I knew the bakers before you all knew them, but nobody cared who she was. I knew about her, fam- her Roland's family back in China, and uh, so I, I, I was aware of them. And now she's Heidi, famous Heidi, African Heidi, you know. And so I came to the meeting, and people brought their pillows and their blankets and just laid in the front. And that was a couple of people. I said, well, there's always some flakes in a meeting, so you know. I just kind of let it roll. The next session, it multiplied. And I'm looking, I'm like waiting for the ushers to politely say, find your seat. But it's not my meeting, but it's bugging me. You know how that works? Like, if I was in charge, I'd take these pillow and blanket people and politely say, find a chair and take some notes and grow. That's my faith roots coming up, you know. So I'm sitting there, and so finally, at the end of the conference, it was like Pillowville. <laughs> so I'm having the dinner with the pastor and hiding all them at their house. I said, I need to ask a question. So I may be stupid, but I'm going to ask, because to me, there's no such thing as a stupid question. The only stupid question is the one you don't ask. So what's up with these pillow blanket people? <laughs> and they did exactly what you did. <laughs> I thought, hey. I don't know. I've been in England for five years. And when I've been in England, I've come back to America. We've gone from being slain to sleeping. And the pastor's wife goes, they're soaking. I said, in what? I didn't understand. So they all laughed like you did and said, Brother Roberts, come on. So they explained it. I said, oh, it's the grandchildren of the falling down people. See, Falling down began with no catchers in the Bible and throughout church history. You just, if God hit you, you fell and you fell and you didn't get hurt. If you got hurt, your own dumb fault. That's the way it was. And then in America, the reason why we had to get catchers was because when people kept falling and starting to get hurt, they began to sue the church. So the church created the catcher people so that we wouldn't get sued anymore. So catchers are for the flesh people, not the spirit people. And then we begin the cloth people because the dresses came up too high and it caused a lust problem in the church. And so we begin the cloth thing. And now we've gone from that to sleeping in the church. And that's how I process soaking. It don't bother me now. It's the grandchildren of the falling down people. And the reason why I'm like that is because one time in my life, my grandmother said to me, if somebody has more of God than you do, don't criticize them. Go over there and get it. And it cured me from what I call campitis disease. My camp is everything. And if you don't do it my way, it's not right. And so my family is called what I would call a wave rider. They ride the waves of God. I lived in California for over 20 years. And I went to Hawaii a few times then too. And I admire surfers. I'm not one. I tried and failed miserably. A surfer are amazing to me. Especially on the north shore of Oahu, Hawaii. When the waves are about as high as this building. 
to watch the waves come in and crash is phenomenal. But something bizarre is there's humans on a board riding those things. Men and women. And I remember I was watching one time and these waves, when they crash, would shake the ground so much in Oahu that you would even shake the car you're in a little bit. A vibration would come. And I got out of my car and walked down to the beach area to watch them for a whole afternoon because I was in shock and amazement and, and awe of these surfer people. And I never watched one surfer come to shore and get mad that the wave he just rode ended. Not one. Before they could even get the salt water wiped off of their face, they've turned around with their board and they're heading back out for another one. Because they had a knowledge that we need. That no matter how great the way they just rode was, there's a better one coming and they don't want to miss it. And we're going to have to be that kind of person in the church with the moves of the Spirit. That the one that you're in may be tremendous, but you've got to know inside of you, there's another one coming of a greater glory. And you don't want to miss it. I've seen church members and denominations and sometimes leaders get mad that their way they rode ended because they don't have the knowledge that a California surfer has. There's another wave coming that's stronger, better, and more powerful that you can ride. The way you ride God's waves is you've got to have your surfboard is your knowledge of the written word. The move of the spirit is that actual wave that you get on. If you don't have a knowledge of scripture that's beyond facts and shallow uh, definitions, your surfboard will not be that good for you when you ride a wave and, and you may crash while trying to ride that wave. If you'll have strong knowledge of the written word, you can ride any wave successfully and avoid the collapse and the failures and the knocks and the frams. And I want you to have the ability to ride all the waves in your life. When I'm 80 and 90, I may be the oldest guy surfing, but I'm going to be coming to the surf house of God. Riding the move of God. They may have no hair or rainbow hair. Or who knows what they'll dress like in those days. But I'm going to be in the middle of them. I may be kind of walking funny. But I'm a walking. I'm not going to die. Thinking my past was better than my present. Because that's called backslidden. If your past is better than your now. You're backslidden now. If your church's past is better than its present. The whole bunch of you are backslidden. If the denomination you're a part of thinks that their greatest days was their past, then the whole bunch of them are backslidden. 1 Corinthians 12, my last verse for you today, and then we'll try to close. Are you enjoying it, by the way? Yes. Are you going to be a British surfer? Yes. Amen. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 and 5, very quickly. There are diversities of gifts, same spirit. There are differences of administration, same Lord. There are diversities of operation, same God that worketh all in all. We normally get this backwards. We want same gift, same operation, same manifestation, and we don't do it the Bible way. The way that we want to make sure that we're writing the right move of God is it's got to be the same written word and the same Jesus in every revival. But there are going to be different gifts that lead different moves and different ways that the anointing is administrated and operates that may not be like what they were in the last revival. And so we must be addicted to God and secure in the written word and love the variety of gifts and the variety of anointings and operations. That's how you become a wave rider. You're not schizo. You're not a flaco. You're a wave rider. 
You're on the board of God's written word. And you're addicted to him as the author of everything that he does. You want to be a part of, no matter if it was a heated evangelist that led the charismatic move. And then he chose for the next leadership gift, a teaching gift. And the other gift moves second. We all have preferences. But we don't live by preference. We live by decisions. Are you with me? I like the color blue, but brown's not of the devil. Are you with me? You may be a lover of brown. That's called preference. I like Southern American food. Fried stuff made by folks in the southern part of America. But you that want to eat sushi, God bless you. My food's not better than your food. It's just my preference. It's what I grew up liking. I love iced tea. And most of you make a look odd face when I say iced tea. I didn't know what hot tea was until I came here and was so cold. I had to drink something hot. And that's when I developed a hot tea uh, uh, desires. Those are preferences. And they're okay. But I can eat other things. I can drink other things. Because I don't allow my preference to dictate. And that's how we have to be with the move of God. We can't allow your preference. If I had a preference, I would have Catherine Kuhlman every day for service. For me. That presence that that woman carried, I would have every single time I got up to go, Hi, I would do a hallelujah course next. But I don't have that. I have it once in a while it'll come. But if I had my preference, that's what I want. But I've got enough sense to know that what God is doing today in his great wisdom is important to the great edifice and the great overall picture of God. So I can keep moving with whatever he's doing because I've become addicted to him and enjoy the variety that he brings to the body without complaints. But I still have a preference, but it does not control what I do, how I live. And where I go. If you're going to be a wave rider of the moves of God, you have to have that ability to be a person that enjoys the variety of gifts and the different ways the anointing operates at different times, even if it's not your preference. That's why some people stop and can't go on to the next revival. Because they don't like to sit in a chair and hear Kenneth Hagin talk and teach for two hours. They want a testimony and a hallelujah course and fall down. But there came a moment God said, I need to educate my people a little bit more than what they have. So in the next move of the Spirit, they'll have the strength of the Word to keep them sound as they operate in the move of the Spirit and the activities of the Spirit. But then we have another problem. Some people are in one revival. They don't like this one. And they jump over and join the the next one. You say, was that wrong? No, I'm glad you came back. But you missed a building block. You missed an emphasis of God. And you may have to need to do some crash course. And say, God, what did you say at that time? And go get what was being said and, and bring it alive in your spirit. And you take the truths with you in every move of God. I've got the charismatic truth on my right shoulder. I've got the word of faith truth on my left. And I'm moving into what's happening now. And when this one ends, I'm going to put it on and keep riding and going with every move of God. You have to do that. Well, Brother Robert, I don't like it. Well, you'll go to heaven. But you'll probably be grumpy after this revival's over. You'll probably go, I don't like this and I don't like that. And you'll be the critical or what we call the revival police. And every revival is messy. Why? Because you're involved. We're all involved and we're messy people. And one day we do this and then we grow a little bit and think, Oh God, I'm sorry I did it wrong. But our sincerity covers our learning mistakes or moments when we didn't quite know how to do it as good as we should. That's the beauty of God. But don't be a revival police. Be a wave rider. I don't want to be an expert on the don't. I want to be a person that's in the do's. 
And that's a decision you have to make. Are you with me? I'm trying to close. It's my second closing. See, I've closed my Bible. I'm trying to close. I can't find the door out, but give me a minute. I want Great Britain to rise again. I want Europe to have the strength of the great reformational spirit and revival spirits to produce a new generation of great men and women and couples and churches and revival schools and and ministry schools that redefine for this part of the world what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be in relationship with the Holy Spirit, and what it means to do the work of God with no shame and no apology when you're right. I'm so glad I didn't die in the charismatic revival. Uh, God can heal her. I'm preaching. Watch me. I'm so glad I didn't die in the word of faith revival. I lost some of my friends. They don't invite me no more because I preach for you now. And they think I've gone too far. I like you better than I like them now. You're flowy going. You're hungry happy. You're reachy dewy. Instead of mm, 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 mm. I asked your pastor this today. I said, is there anything you'd like for me to do or you don't want me to do? He goes, nah, you know. That's... You ask some of these dead churches that they give you a sheet of paper. It's like you should have mailed it to me two weeks ago so I could have figured out what I can do, which is just stand there and smile. This morning is a very simple message. I just wanted to encourage you that we're in a great move of the Spirit that's begun. I don't know what we call it. I've nicknamed it the river. I'm sure there'll come a better theological name for it later. But I want you to write it. Drink of it. Enjoy all of it. But know in your mind and in your heart and as a people, there'll come a moment when what God is emphasizing at this moment We'll come to a place of maturity and God will say, good job, done. And he will breathe and decide to send another refreshing according to his wisdom that needs to be in a nation, in a generation. And when that happens, he may choose a different administration of the anointing, a different ministry gift to lead it than a teacher or an evangelist. It may be something else. Right now it seems like the prophetic and the apostolic are leading They may not lead the next one. And can you join that? Can you be willing to make the transition? The only exception is someone that's coming to the end of their earthly duties and they must finish out their course with a certain mandate. I'll tell you the story in close. Kenneth Hagin, toward the end of his life, I grew up around Brother Hagin. I'm a Haganite by choice. All right, so if you have a problem with Brother Hagin, I'll talk. Read his books. Don't listen to the, the second generation that made him sound extreme. I know a lot of people call him the name it, claim it, lab it, and grab it. Well, yes and no. What you say you can't have according to Scripture. That was the principle. Always the, the, the second generation or the children of it takes it a little too far. And that's what the revival police get mad at and shoot it. You have them too. Have you read the internet lately? The revival police are all over you guys. And over me too. So that's how you know you're alive. If you're dead, they don't care. It's when you're alive. That's how you, when you're persecuted, it's a sign you're alive. Amen. How you know when you're alive? When you need more money and people hate your guts. You're alive. So, amen. All right. He stood up at the back of his church, or, or, or his school in a public meeting. He goes, he prophesied the revival we're in right now. Some of you may not know him or know that, but he prophesied it. And he said, some of you are waiting for me to lead it because I led the last one. He said, I'm not going to lead the last one. I'm going to finish my life teaching faith because that's how my life has been allotted out. He says, but I'm going to participate in it, but I'm not called to lead it. Some of you, if you'll go on, you can be a part of it. And he encouraged us that night to go on with the move of God. He goes, I've got to finish my course this way. He said, I only got a few years left. He said, I'm going to finish it like this. He said, I see it though. It's beautiful. Things that we prophesied are going to happen. And you're going to experience it. Things that we saw in just little touches in my life. You're going to see in large amounts and become a lifestyle for some nations. 
He said, I would love to be with you. He says, but I will finish my natural course and I will die. But go on. Go on. And that night was the night I said, okay, I'll go on. And so I want you to know we're in the midst of a great move. Some of you have got white hair. I wonder how many revivals you've been in. One, none, or all of them. But you can jump on the wave today and ride them for the rest of your life. You've got a great church here with a good team who's got a good word for a surfboard. And they're not scared of the strength of the move of God, the wave of the Spirit. They're not trying to control it. They're just trying to ride it right. Beautiful. That's good leadership. You can come in this environment and you can make a mistake and get up and keep going. You can learn how to do it better. And you become one day an expert, not on the past revivals, but on how to keep writing every move that God brings in our lifetime. That's what I wanted to give you this morning. Don't die with what was. Die in the middle with what is. You'll get new friends, but there's seven billion people. Go meet the rest of them. I've lost some friends. But you know, I was crying one day. Oh, I love my friends. So many people don't like my church. Don't more than think I'm loco. I was crying like that, you know, self-pity party. And the Lord said to me, how many people are in the earth? I said, about seven billion. He goes, quit crying and go meet the rest of them. And that cured me that day from this... <laughs> I met you. I'm meeting new people. And I want to keep meeting them too. Amen? Stand up on your feet. Let's begin to close. Did you enjoy the message? All right. Did I help you a little bit? Hallelujah. Amen, amen, and amen. Hallelujah. How many people... Can speak in other tongues. Can I see your hand? You have that gift flowing. You look your hand up your line. Look around the room at all of these normal British people. Woo! Hallelujah. Put your hands down. How many have never prayed in tongues in their life? Can I see your hand? You never have. Don't be embarrassed. You never have. Put your hand up real high. Just for If you want to, come here. If you want the Holy Spirit like that, come to the front. Come on. If you're nervous, bring your whole, bring your friends with you. Come on, Mr. England. I saw you raise your hand. If you want to receive the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking in tongues, run down the front real fast. Come on. Come on. We'll wait for you. It's all right. Come on. Bring your friends with you. That's okay. If you want to bring a whole roll, that's okay too. Come on. Come on. Come on. God bless you. Come on. Just stand up here in the front. Stand up here in the front on this side. Thanks for coming. God bless you. Just stand right up here in the front, however you want to. Come on. Come and receive this part of the Holy Spirit in your life. Hallelujah. Amen, 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 and amen. Now, everybody help me out. Turn to the person next to you and say, Have you received the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues? And if they can't say it, good yes, encourage them to come down or bring them down. Anybody else? Anybody else? This is called an altar call. Called ministry time. Nothing bad's gonna happen to you guys. Alright, so just relax. It's okay. It's all right. Your friends away for anybody else. Come on. All right. Anybody else? Okay. I'm, I'm, this is gonna be the next little uh, uh, kind of unusual request. Turn to the same person and ask them to pray in tongues and make sure they can. <laughs> just ask them. Let me hear you pray in tongues. Say, let me hear you pray in tongues. If they can, great. If not, encourage them to come down. Anybody else? I'm not trying to embarrass you a little bit, but I'm kind of being pushy a little bit, okay? Anybody else? Anybody else? All right. Now, everybody needs to be born again, and everybody needs to receive the Holy Spirit with this part of His life in you. Amen? Now, I'm sure we have ministry teams that can minister with their there. I'm going to ask all of you to just kind of stand there, and I'm going to pray over you, and then I'm going to ask the ministry team to, to pray with you. Now, ministry team, somebody may need some some talking to and some, some explanation of what we're talking about so it's not some weird thing. It's a Bible thing. Amen. Lord, bless the baby with throwing the thing at the window. Amen. <laughs> Father, we bless these people that have come at my request. They just came because I said come. Now, Father, you know exactly where they're at. And Holy Spirit, 
You're a gentle and beautiful spirit. And we ask that you come upon and fill each one. And let that beautiful language of the spirit flow like a river out of them. Help each counselor be able to minister effectively and correctly to each person. So that everyone here today leaves with a satisfaction and a blessing in their life. Amen. Now I'll ask the prayer team uh, to come on in and just begin to minister to them. And I'll let them direct. Is that, is that the way we do it here? Is that okay? More people need to go or however you need that. If you need to go over there. If you need to go over there and help minister, then you know who you are. Amen. Are you glad you came this morning? Yes. Amen. Let, let me let me bless you and I'll give it to pastor to dismiss and we'll go. Amen. Father, we bless them that are standing here today. It's your touch that they need more than anybody else's. And I ask for your healing power to take pain out of people's bodies and fix what's been causing the pain supernaturally. Let there be peace in your mind and stability in your soul. I pray that the gifts of God in you stay alive and be stirred. I pray that the wrong people get out of your life and the right ones come into your life in Jesus' name. And for your children, the same prayer I pray. I bless you today. May God prosper you, spirit, soul, and body. May God prosper you financially and socially. May there be an abundance of God's blessings in your life. And I bless you today. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Give God a good shout if you would.